Hi, and welcome to Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast. My name is Ruth Haley Barton, and I'm founder of the Transforming Center, and I'm here with Steve Weens, senior pastor of Genesis Covenant Church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. Steve is also a Transforming Community alumni, which means we spend a lot of time laughing, growing, and being transformed in the presence of Christ in community with other leaders. Well, here we are, episode five, Men and Women in Community, and we're in season two of Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast. This one's called Life Together in Christ, Cultivating Communities for Spiritual Transformation. So Ruth, uh, men and women in community, Mm -hmm. locate us in the Emmaus Road story, would you please? Yes, well, this is an interesting part of the story because in the Jewish culture, men and women were kept very separate. And in fact, you know, in the synagogue, there was a curtain and the women were behind the curtain and all that. So one of the things that's really striking about Jesus' life is that his very presence, the very way that he handled himself in in community with women in particular, was very, very different than what the Jewish culture had going on at the time. So that's very evident in, if you look at Jesus' life, he had women friends, there were women disciples, Um, they were very close to him and he had give and take relationships with them, very intimate. So um, in this particular story, we see that again. Uh, We see that the community that gathered around Jesus, to risk stating the obvious, is that there were men and women in the community that gathered around Jesus. So a community gathered around the presence of Christ is going to have men and women equally uh, interacting with this person, Jesus. So these two disciples, and by the way, we haven't mentioned the fact that we don't know who the other disciple was. So we have Cleopas. We know that there was one man. We don't know who the other one was, and there are guesses. Some people think it might have been Luke, because Luke was the one that wrote this account, and he seems so very intimate with it. Others think that it was Cleopas's wife, because when they get to the end of the story and they go to the home for dinner, it could make sense that, that it was a couple. But I think that uh, the, the writer leaves it on name so that we can find ourselves on that road. And uh, for women in particular, that's really kind of delightful, because it means that we can find ourselves on that road, too. But as the story unfolds, as the two disciples talk about what's happened to them, they talk about the horror of the crucifixion and the dashed hopes and all of that. And then they talk about the fact that that very morning, Sunday morning, some hope had been reintroduced into the situation. And they say it this way. They say, moreover, some of the women in our group have astounded us. Hmm. They have come back to us and told us that they have indeed seen a vision of an angel who said that he was alive, that Jesus was alive. And so they acknowledge the fact that there are women in their community and these women are astounding them with the message of hope that they have. So this is very interesting, a very egalitarian view of life together in community with Jesus because Jesus actually gives the message of the resurrection to women to take back to the male disciples. He trusts them with the good news of the gospel that Jesus has risen. So right there we have Jesus, you know, changing it up, turning it all upside down, saying whatever that was back there in the Jewish tradition, we're doing it differently here now. So that's another little phrase that when you really carefully read this story and meditate on it and let the phrases speak to you, this phrase, moreover, the women of our group astounded us, is really quite pregnant with meaning about the community gathered around the presence of Jesus, which is made up of men and women. And hopefully we astound each other all the time, you know, with our gifts and with our abilities and with our insights and with the regard that we can have for each other. Hopefully we in the Christian community can just astound each other with what it can be like for us in the community of Jesus. Well, my first question is a bit of a playing dumb question, Mm -hmm. but I want you to go there Mm -hmm. anyway, uh, because aren't we past this? I mean, men and women working together, Mm -hmm. this is 2017. Aren't aren't we beyond Mm -hmm. this, this issue of 
how is it that we can listen to one another and astound mm -hmm. one another? I wish we were. And in fact, I expected that we would be because I've been, um, you know, exploring this issue and holding out vision for the, the radical equality of men and women in community since I was in my early 30s. But we're not beyond it. And in fact, there's been a younger crop of leaders who have grown up and have even become more conservative on this issue than than what I was experiencing when I was a young woman. And now we still we still see churches where women don't have complete freedom to be elders and to preach and to pastor and where this is still the conversation and where there is still a lot of pain among the women about the kind of discrimination that they're experiencing in the church. And it, it hurts me to say that, but it is true. I wish we were beyond it, but we, we really aren't. And I, I'm still surprised when I hear men say, men in leadership positions, I don't have lunch with a woman by myself or I won't get in a car with a woman by myself. That just excludes women so profoundly and leaves them so far on the outside of the leadership structures that whenever I hear it, I'm just shocked. I understand it, and I have a certain level of respect for men who either have such an awareness of their own sexual temptability, or they are so afraid of women, perhaps, and the fact that women can be seductive, um, that that they are excluding women to that extent. So I respect what they're trying to do, because I too want men and women to be together in relationships that don't cross lines that would be destructive for us all if they did. But at the same time, I'm aware of how far that places women outside the power structures and outside what's going on in leadership circles. I think what you just said is so powerful that I'm going to ask a follow-up mm -hmm. question because there are perhaps some men that are listening to that, mm -hmm. that honestly, good men, mm -hmm. that want to partner with women, lift up women in leadership. And even as I say that, I, I realize it, lift up the men or lifting up the women mm -hmm. in leadership, and that sounds so wrong. But they don't see how having just – informal golf gatherings mm -hmm. with just guys from the staff right. uh, and you're making decisions. They don't Or you're having those mutually influencing conversations because that's where the mutual influence takes place. Yeah. Is when you're together in those more informal ways. Yeah. Um and I remember being on staff at a church when I was in my early thirties, I was the only woman on staff and sometimes we would come together for staff meeting and the guys would have been playing basketball um sometime earlier in the week and they would come back and they would talk about you know, what they had discussed while they were playing basketball, and there'd be a sense of camaraderie among them that was different than what I had with them. And then I also was aware that I was outside conversations that ended up having an influence on what we were deciding and how we were interacting and thinking about things. And it was a feeling of such isolation to know that they were getting together because they were guys, and I was outside of that and didn't get to be a part of that mutual influence. Didn't even get to be a part of the fun. I mean, right. it's fun, too. Like I'm on the outside looking into the fact that they're having fun, yeah. you know, or they're having these really great connections and meaningful conversations around the fire pit with the cigar, you know, um, and I wouldn't be able to be a part of that just because of my gender. And so there's this feeling of being on the outside and being excluded that is very subtle. And that can be taking place in places where the theology is that men and women are equal, but the truth is they're not being treated equally. Um, in some very subtle ways that the men are unaware of. And that's, I'm so glad you brought that mm -hmm. up because, okay, if you have a theology that women shouldn't mm -hmm. lead, preach, teach, then, okay. Yeah, then we like, expect that then, they're going to be excluded yeah. in all sorts of yeah. ways. <laughs> but I think what you just said is so much more common. Mm -hmm. Churches that are egalitarian mm -hmm. in theory, yeah. but don't really even realize the level to which they're excluding. And this mm -hmm. is mostly, I'm going to say it's mostly men excluding women. Mm -hmm. So 
Um, I can hear someone saying, yeah, but isn't it good for the guys the guys on staff to get together and play basketball or get together and have a cigar mm-hmm. or have a beer? And I would say, yes, that, that, that's not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. But help, Ruth, help us get more creative and, mm-hmm. and, and give us because um, might there be some sacrifices mm-hmm. that men need to make from what they would normally feel comfortable doing mm-hmm. in order to hold up this value of not excluding women? Mm-hmm. I don't know if I would, I'm, I'm, this is the first time I've heard that idea of sacrifice. I would hope that it wouldn't feel like too much of a sacrifice when you think about the benefits totally. of when men and women are together, how good it can be and how energizing it can be. And I've come to a point where there's, I, I don't have a strong sense that something different and better happens when just women are together than when we're together in mixed groups. So it doesn't feel like a sacrifice to me that when that when we all choose to be together and just assume that men and women together are the fullest representation of the person of God and reflect more fully who God is and that there's something that's really fully orbed. That's the word I like, that when men and women are together, the whole thing is just more fully orbed. And that feels really rich to me. So I think the benefits far outweigh the sacrifices or the disadvantages. Uh, to the all-male gatherings or the all-female gatherings. And in fact, I will, maybe I want to go one step further. Yeah. I'm going to go one go step there. further and say that I actually think that when we're together as men and women, we actually all rise up to a higher level. So the women don't go to some of their yep. silly stuff and the men don't go to some of their ridiculous stuff. But we kind of rise to this level of being our best selves with each other rather than capitulating to what's worse, worst I, within us. I absolutely 100% mm-hmm. agree with you. And... I know because I've been in mm-hmm. a million of these circles yeah. that for a group of – for a pastor that's a man that's used to this, mm-hmm. used to the hanging out with yeah. the guys on the staff and then saying, okay, I, I, I need to change. I need to change this. Mm-hmm. At first, before they've experienced the fully orbness, yes. before they've noticed like – Oh, I'm like, this is so much yeah, better. Yeah, so much, so safe, so fun. Like when, yeah. when you've gotten to a place where you've known how to yeah. be safe in it yeah. and you are able to be yourself in it, you're not, yeah. it, it's like so fun. There's just so much fun to be had. But I would say, and I know it sounds pejorative, but it will feel like a sacrifice mm-hmm. to, to, to what's mm-hmm. normal. Um, part of it's change, part of it's, you know, so um, I agree mm-hmm. completely, but, but I, I think it's, I think I want to I want to say it's mm-hmm. it's okay to name that mm-hmm. because I've been there and I know what that yeah. is and I know fully what it what it feels like actually um in and because our little church which is 3 years old got to start with yes, with culture yes. mm-hmm. we didn't have to you know right. like we we so we don't have a whole lot of I mean there are guys that meet with guys but mm-hmm. but it, but in terms of staff yes. it's almost never I mean, we well. Number one, there's only two guys on staff, yeah, and right. we we have our meetings one on one. But that's not a. But everybody has. It. You thing. have the meet one on one with anybody, re- exactly. regardless of gender. Yeah, but when, it's the same way with our board and with our staff community in the Transforming Center. We started with such a profound commitment to equality that there's as much comfort when we're together. Well, we're never together in just one gender or the other, unless yeah. it's a one-on-one meeting. But everybody has access to one-on-one meetings with whoever. Yeah, you know? exactly. So it's not a special. It's, it's not special that the that somebody who is my gender gets the one-on-one meeting, but somebody who's not my gender can't have a one-on-one meeting with me. And I've, I've, I know of situations like that where there's that kind of, oh, 
I don't want uh, discrimination. I mean, you know, it is. to you know, for so I'm the senior leader in our organization. If I said, well, only the women get to have a one-on-one meeting with me, but the men can't, and in fact, we have to have the door open, and I can't ever be out for lunch with you because you're male. Wow, I don't even know how our ministry would go forward yeah. in that in with that with those kinds of parameters. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's and you brought that up mm-hmm. earlier. You just brought it up again. Yeah. So this rule that some male leaders mm-hmm. have, uh, hey, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna mm-hmm. have lunch or a one-on-one with a woman, because that's I, I could fall into mm-hmm. temptation. Now we want to say that on on the on the on the top level, there there could be some nobility in. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, it's a good thing to not. The, yeah, want the desire to, to remain yeah. faithful and true to your basic commitments in life. That's yeah, really worthy, and thing. I respect it. So let's name that desire. Mm-hmm. I want to be faithful mm-hmm. to my spouse, whether I'm a man or a woman. I don't want to get sideways right. with with a with a person. Mm-hmm. But ha- let's get creative. Mm-hmm. How might we say, okay? But I but I also this this whole rule of not having a one on one is discriminatory. Yeah, it's exclusive. How do we do both? Like uh, um, have the one-on-one mm-hmm. and also remain faithful, right? And have integrity. Yes, so that that's great. Um, and I I have written on this extensively yeah. in the book Equal to the Task: Men and Women in Partnership. We'll put it on the show notes. Yes, of that'll this be episode. great because I have a whole chapter on how how we can work with the issue of sexuality in our lives, the power of it. Um, I think one of the reasons that people feel so afraid of sexuality is because we haven't dealt with it openly. We have, it's one of those things that we've repressed, so it just feels dark and scary. So one of the things that I suggest to people in leadership is that in spiritual direction or in counseling or whatever, that we have really dealt with our own sexuality and the power of it and have allowed it to be upfront and open and so that we have places where safe conversations can take place if we do start to feel, you know, temptation one way or the other, but that we have dealt with our own issues around sexuality so openly that we are really comfortable and safe with ourselves and comfortable and safe with other people of the other gender. And Jesus is such an amazing example of this because um, one of my favorite stories of where Jesus is involved is the story where the woman comes, and this happens more than once, where, you know, he's eating a meal with the disciples and a woman comes and begins to pour out her gratitude and love for him by washing his feet with her tears and using ointment and all that. And I do not want us to not realize that that is a very sensual situation that Jesus is in. Like if you look at that from a human point of view, you know, it's, it's hair, it's fragrances, it's feet, it's, you know, touching, it's, it's really very, very sensual. What makes that situation safe? The person that Jesus is makes that situation safe. Yes. Um, How he's able to understand what's really on her heart and receive it. How he himself doesn't let it go anyplace else but where it needs to be, which is her expressing gratitude. He puts the the best meanings on it. Um, It's Jesus comfortable with himself and his own sexuality and his own safety with with the whole situation that makes the situation safe. It's not whether or not he eats lunch alone with a woman or not. It's who he is that makes him safe. And so that's my deepest desire and encouragement for us as men and women in community is that we do our work around issues of sexuality, that we are deeply in touch with our deepest desires to be faithful to our our commitments and also to not do something or involve someone else in something that would be unloving for them or for their family. Um, Dallas Willard, who we all love and respect, He made the statement one time, and I think it's absolutely true. He said, what is the antidote for lust? It's love. Wow. 
Wow. It's to move towards the person in love, in, in the most demanding aspects of love, yeah. which is self-sacrificial, and it's only wanting what's best for the other person, and it's not grasping for what I want. It's uh, being willing to be committed to the absolute and utter best for you and for me in this situation. That is what makes situations safe. Um, now, I will also say that for a person in leadership, not everybody gets to have that kind of access if they're not safe. Right. You know what I'm saying? So that place where Jesus says, you know, he didn't entrust himself to them because he knew what was in their hearts. As leaders, we need to be wise about who we entrust ourselves to in this way. So if it's a person that doesn't feel, we need to have our radar up. Yep. And if it's a person who doesn't feel safe and clear about their own sexuality um, or their own motivations, then we don't have to have this as we don't have to have this as the practice with everybody because not everybody is worthy of this kind of trust because you are trusting the other person, yeah, you know, as, as well and trusting yeah. how healthy they are as well. So, you know, we, we have our antenna up. We are open and available as appropriate to people, depending on where they're at in their development and their spirituality. We don't have to give this kind of thing to everyone. But for those who are safe and those who have worked openly with their, their issues of sexuality and they're at home with themselves and at home in their commitments and at home in the, this place of love, then, then we can trust the, the people involved yes. in what their commitments are. And that is so elevating. To both men and women, it you know, really is. I, I think it is really disrespectful of men for us to think that men do not have control of their sexual urges. That is insulting. It is. That is absolutely insulting. It is. And it's insulting to women to think that women are so seductive that they might jump on you if you let them get in a car with you. That's insulting too. I'm, I'm laughing. Yeah. I know, I know. Like... It's like I want to say, in your dreams, buddy. You know? <laughs> Don't even like, think do you, it. Do you, <laughs> really? Do you really think you're that irresistible? That's right. I mean, yeah, so, yeah. Um, yeah, so that's kind of that's kind of where I land. And I write yeah. a lot about that in equal to the task, and I touch on it in Life Together in Christ, that definitely men and women in spiritual community need to have dealt with issues of sexuality, respect its power, but also have um, have the wherewithal not to let it overcome the whole situation, the fear of it, yeah. overcome the whole relationship. And we talked about this last season. I can't remember in what episode, but we talked about sort of internally normalizing mm -hmm. the spark that sometimes yes. happens mm -hmm. when men and women work together. Yeah. When we're because because when we're bringing our mm -hmm. best selves and when we're even when we're fully be, like fully orbed mm -hmm. that exactly. then th there's probably gonna be some mm -hmm. that's that's how our right. bodies work and that's how uh, and it's so, how God created it yes. God created a spark between yes. male and female and so <clears throat> I want to say the importance of having your safe places spiritual direction counseling mm -hmm. yes really really close uh, accountable relationships. Yeah. To be able to name that and not right. feel like you're a horrible exactly. person. Exactly. Well, and even in your relationship with God, yeah. to have your relationship with God be a safe place to say, you know, this is what yeah. I'm experiencing. Let's be with this together. And what I also discover is that when we're able to be open out in the open, not, not necessarily with the other person, that might not be helpful, but right. when we can bring it out into the open with a trusted spiritual friend or in our solitude with God, it's interesting how when you can bring it out in the open, the the, the the spark of it dissipates yeah. a little oh, bit. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, you can just settle into that place of the goodness of it, but it's not a spark that feels out of control. The power of it dissipates a little bit. I, I think sexuality can have a subterranean power over us when we haven't acknowledged it. Yeah. But when we bring it out into the open, it, lo it loses some of its negative power, and we're left with just the goodness that's there. Yeah. Well, uh, we could talk for we could. hours mm -hmm. about this. Yeah. I, I do want to get to another aspect of ways in which we can exclude 
mm -hmm. uh, the other. In terms of race, yeah. race, race and racial diversity, mm -hmm. um, are there ways in which even in the early church, in the scriptures, uh, we are given a picture of mm -hmm. uh, diversity bigger than uh just male and female. Yes. I think Galatians 3.28 is an amazing verse, and I think in that verse, Paul is really summing up the impact of Jesus' life on earth as it related to diversity, where he says that um, in Christ there is no uh, Jew nor Greek, which is, you know, race. There's no male or female, which is gender. There is no slave nor free, which is more socioeconomic status. That all three of those things, Paul is clearly saying that in the body of Christ, that's the one place where we should expect not to experience discrimination on the basis of th those three aspects yeah. of our human experience. And I think Paul is really summing up the impact of the way Christ actually lived while on the earth, as well as expressing a, a deep theological truth about the nature of the body of Christ and what we can expect in the body of Christ. And so Paul is saying, you know, you might experience discrimination every place else, but in Christ, this should be the one place where you don't experience discrimination on the basis of race, gender, or socioeconomic status. And so the body of Christ actually becomes the picture. And of course, Paul talks about the body of Christ in, in other places, 1 Corinthians 12, where, where he says so clearly that we are a body and we don't have the right to say to another person in any way or on any level, I don't have any need of you. Yeah. He's so clear about that. So we don't have the right as white people to say to black people, we have no need of you in our lives and in our perspectives and in our leadership. We don't have the right as one gender to say to the other gender, we have no need of you. We don't have the right as uh, you know affluent people to say to people who have less material resources, we have no need of you. The church is the one place where you should experience those things as being non-issues. I think that's so exciting. Yeah. So, now we fall short. Let's just say that. For sure. We are nowhere near that kind of reality. So, But I hope that we're on the way. I hope we continue to be on the way and to wrestle with it. So just like we talked about issues of power when we talked about men and women, mm -hmm. because typically men have had the power. Mm -hmm. when, it, when it comes to racial diversity in the church, and maybe you live in Minnesota, um, like I do, and if you are white, mm -hmm. you probably hold a kind of power that you, that you don't know that you hold. Mm -hmm. So I was having lunch with one of my friends, one-on-one, -on -one, mm -hmm. woman, mm -hmm. pastor. Her name is... Oh, yeah. I don't know, Steve. <laughs> don't know if you should be doing that. <laughs> Her name is Dee. And, um, Hi, Dee. Dee is amazing. <laughs> she is uh, about 30, mm -hmm. African-American, fiery, mm -hmm. one of the best preachers I've ever heard. And we were having lunch, and I was just sort of blithely talking about the Exodus story and how I was interested. I was writing something about mm -hmm. it and she just stopped me. She goes, Oh no. She goes, please don't tell me mm -hmm. another white pastor mm -hmm. is going to associate white people with the children of Israel mm -hmm. and not Egypt and mm -hmm. not Pharaoh. And I just went like, Oh my, mm -hmm. say more. Mm -hmm. But it became pretty obvious what she was talking about. Right. So it's like, how do we, um, and, and I'm talking to those of us who are white, how do we, even in the scriptures, locate ourselves sometimes mm -hmm. as the Romans and sometimes as the Egyptians and sometimes as Pharaoh in a way that would help us to move toward the other? Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Or is that 17 questions and I should back yeah, up and pick well, one? 
I, I do think that what you just described is, is part of the answer to the question, and that is that we don't co-opt it always for ourselves. I yeah. think that that's, that's what I hear when I speak with those of other races, that we, we as white people sometimes co-opt you know, co-op stories, we yeah. co-opt their experiences, we co-opt people like Martin Luther King Jr., like we can, you know, take them as our own and not see where we are, where we really are yeah. in the story. And it's really humbling to perhaps get another perspective about where we are in some of these stories and how others see those stories and interpret them, which is very different sometimes than how we interpret them. And I think we're back to welcoming the stranger. Right, we are. We absolutely are back to welcoming the stranger and the stranger's story. Yep. And I think there's just there's there's power in noticing that much of the scriptures are written from the perspective mm-hmm. of people who are being oppressed. Yes. Mm-hmm. And if we're not in relationship with, if we ourselves are unintentionally, unknowingly on the oppressive side, mm-hmm. that is one of the things to name, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Ruth, great discussion about race and racial diversity. We could talk about that for hours and hours, but this episode is men and women in community. So let's wrap up this episode with some practical help, practices that help move men and women together in community in healthy ways. Wonderful. Well, first of all, I like I talk about practicing oneness. You know, what does it mean for us to live into the oneness of the body of Christ? Um, I think it's interesting that that. Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, uses the body of Christ as the metaphor to describe who we are in Christ. So it also means then that we, family of God, the the body of Christ, that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. So I think that's a really wonderful place to head. What does it mean for people to be brotherly and sisterly together? I have two brothers. They're both pastors. And um, we are very close in, in every way. And so when I try to think about how men and women could be together in community, I think about my relationship with my brothers and the oneness that we have. And in those relationships, there are no men's and women's issues. You know, we all care about our children. I care about their children. They care about their children. They care about my children. There, We, we don't have men's and women's issues. We just have issues, you yeah. know, that we're all dealing with in the yeah. family of God that we all care about. And so it's beautiful that we don't have issues that we can't talk about and then because we're male or female, and then other issues that we do. We talk about everything. We talk about our spirituality. We talk about our families. We talk about our calling. There's a kind, there's a oneness there. There's a respect. Um, there's no hierarchy between me and my brothers. And can you imagine if hierarchy oh. was imposed on us, how that would affect the relationship? So the first practice is oneness, and I would offer up the picture of a brother and sister yeah. and how do you how do you react with a brother and sister in Christ and if there was any sexual weirdness that would be stupid you know right. so that's not there and so our relationships are clean and pure and clear and so uh, the oneness that's there between a brother and sister is what we can envision for our lives together in the body of Christ so to keep that picture before us I would say include one another as often as possible. So when you look at your elder group, is it mixed with male and female? I believe, given what we've seen here, that it should be. When you see the platform on Sunday mornings, are there both male and female on the platform? When you walk into the nursery, are there both men and women taking care of the babies? When you walk into the Sunday school, are there both men and women working with the kids? When you walk into the kitchen preparing for the church potluck or whatever, are there men and women together working to prepare the food and to clean up the food? 
the, this idea of inclusiveness is so powerful. That's that's togetherness right there, just being determined that we're going to do this stuff together in the body of Christ. And that no matter where you look in our life and community, you're going to see men and women together. So that's one. Listening to one another. We've already talked about that in the previous episode, but I'm applying it here to men and women, that we need to really listen to what each other's experience is. So men need to listen to women about what their experiences of exclusion have been. And you listen to me today talk about what it feels like to be excluded from the golf game or the basketball game or the cigars around the fire. You listened to me and I got to say that. When I was writing Equal to the Task, I actually did some interviewing with men where I set aside my own experience as a woman and I asked the men in my life, college buddies, um, colleagues, male colleagues, to talk to me about their experience of what it means to be male. And when they talked with me openly about the power of sexuality in their lives, that actually shaped how I wrote the chapter on mm -hmm. sexuality because their experience was different than mine. Yeah. The way that they experienced sexuality and the power of it's different than the way I experienced it. And I needed to be humbled in the presence of that struggle. I needed to hear them talk about it from their guts. And I needed to write out of a place of having listened to my male brothers and sisters, or my male brothers in Christ and, and respond to what their real experience is, which is slightly different than mine. So to listen to one another with attention and then respond and to craft the way that we live together. And then finally, we've already talked about this, but I think honoring sexuality is a is a practice. I think um, what our parameters are around that, the way we keep that open before God and before trusted companions, facing our fears, moving beyond fear and the pathology of our culture, um, establishing good and healthy connections between sexuality and spirituality. This is part of the practice, uh, cultivating self-awareness and taking responsibility for what you're feeling and experiencing rather than ever blaming it on somebody else. I write in Equal to the Task about a 30-year-old guy who went back to college and what to get a degree and, and what it felt like for him to be flirted with ah. with the 23 year old you know young women on the campus and I'm sure I'm sure he was quite attractive to them in some ways because he was a little bit more mature than the people that they were typically with and he talked about the fact that, that it felt so good to have them flirting with him but it was also scared him to death yeah and so he went into counseling so that he could deal mm. with himself rather than making them feel ashamed right he took responsibility for himself and what he discovered was that that flirtation he kind of sexualized it more than it needed to be sexualized. He did that out of a place of looking for female approval. When he got that stuff worked out, he determined that he was going to go back and be that safe person, able mm -hmm. to be in that mix without um, ever acting out on yeah. you know the flirtation. So that was really beautiful to me, that he took really profound responsibility for himself rather than blaming it on them and making them feel bad. Um, if you're married, keeping the issue of sexuality open between the two of you, cultivating your own um, healthy sexual life there. Um, really wondering what it means to love one another, moving towards love in our relationship with each other. Love and the, and the demand of love for self-sacrifice, for only doing what's best for the other person. Love is not sentimental slop. Love is a very strong dynamic. And so for us to determine what love really means here and to live it in, in strong ways. Um, so I think honoring sexuality is a practice and that there are components of the practice that we can learn how to, how to, how to live in and in doing so we become safe for everyone. So those are a few of the really concrete ways that I think men and women can actually practice um, being astounded by one another and being together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And boy, is it, is it fun and enlivening when we can actually accomplish that. It brings a whole new richness to life that I believe God built into creation and that Jesus, by his example, wanted to show us how to do.
Oh, Ruth, the when I hear your voice hit a certain level of passion, which is what you just did for the last five minutes, uh, I know we're right at the center of of what God made you to to bring to Thank the world. Um, so, uh, gang, you can read those um, suggestions in uh, chapter five of Ruth's book, uh, and it's called Men and Women in Community. Some women of our group astounded us, and I would just encourage you to do that. So uh, I have loved how we've ended the last couple of episodes with a prayer. Do you have a prayer for this one? I do. I have a beautiful prayer. Um, and this is a prayer for affirming our life together as brothers and sisters in community. As a community gathered in the transforming presence of Jesus, we affirm that as men and women, we are made in God's image, befriended by Christ, and empowered by the Spirit. With God's people everywhere, we affirm God's goodness at the heart of creation, planted more deeply than all that is wrong. With all creation, we celebrate the miracle and wonder of life and the unfolding purposes of God forever at work in ourselves and in the world. Move among us, O God, give us life. Let your people rejoice in you. As brothers and sisters in your family, make our hearts clean within us Renew us in mind and spirit. Give us the joy of your help, O God, and with your spirit of freedom, sustain us. Amen. Thanks so much for listening today. We know there are thousands of podcasts out there, and we're grateful that you've spent the last 30 minutes with us. Thanks, Steve, for such great questions and for taking that step of faith to join a transforming community so long ago in 2011. If you're a pastor or a leader who would like to connect your soul with your leadership, please do consider this an invitation to learn more about the Transforming Community, a two-year experience of spiritual formation for leaders. Our experience is grounded in scripture, it is animated by a Trinitarian approach to transformation and community, and it's informed by the richness and diversity of our Christian heritage. If you'd like to learn more, do visit us at transformingcenter.org.